On the first episode of the Bigfoot International Podcast for 2018, we talked to Brian Barish, the United States Australian Football League's media manager, all about the international implications of AFLX, particularly in the US, the United States Australian Football League Nationals, and the state of the game's development in general. All that and more, coming right up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first Big Footy International podcast of the year. I'm, of course, the Wookiee. Some of you know me as Jason. With me today, I have uh, Brian Barish, uh, media manager of the United States Australian Football League and a man who, well, developed something of a cult following during the last International Cup. Good morning, Brian. <laughs> How's it going, man? Oh, it's, it's not bad. It's early in the morning here. 7.30 in Adelaide, where it's uh, not too bad, a bit muggy, but uh, how's it over there for you? Uh, it's not too bad. It's actually, you know, it's actually very warm right here right now, which is uh, unusual for the northeast part of the U.S. in February. Uh, it's in the 70s here, which I think reckon is probably somewhere in the upper 20s uh, Celsius. Um, I, I reckon that the uh, that the good weather is probably the, the unseasonal weather is probably because of the AFL's announcement that they're not going to change any any rules this year. The, the, I did notice that yesterday, and I saw your comment this morning, and I'm like, well, maybe hell has frozen over for once. It's uh, you know, <laughs> now that happened when the, that happened when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So, ongoing side effect of uh, global warming, perhaps you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Sure, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll get stuck into that. <laughs> Now, there's a few things I want to talk to you about this morning while you're here. You know, obviously, uh, you made some comments about AFLX, and I want to talk about how that might relate to the international development of the game, and obviously uh, the Nationals, and a few other things to do with US footy. But before we get into that, you uh, you made yourself something of a name during the International Cup. How did that come about? Um, well, uh, that's, that's an interesting, uh, I guess, question in, in a sense that... Uh, I really wasn't looking to make a name for myself while I was over there. I was basically down there to cover the three American teams that we sent, uh, two for the International Cup and and the Liberty uh, women's team, which was basically touring a whole bunch of sides down in in Melbourne. Um, I uh, was there ostensibly to cover the U.S. team, and also uh, we didn't know initially what the plans for broadcasting were going to be, and I was beginning to make plans to basically hand broadcast all 10 of the U.S.'s games during the International Cup. And the AFL just made the decision, and and a good decision, I think, that they were going to stream all the matches. And I put my hand up to be be a a commentator. And I said, listen, I'd like to do the American games. And they said, sure, we 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 can accommodate you with that. So the schedule comes out, and I'm doing special comments. Now, I was just happy that I was involved, but initially I was sort of, I'm not terribly comfortable doing special comments and it made me really nervous. Um, and, but I said, you know what, I'm doing the special comments for USA Canada. I know both teams. I'm just going to have fun with it. And, um, and, and I guess I've made a couple of people uh, laugh on the internet in, in the process um, Dave Griziak made a made a strong tackle, and Brian Mansbridge, who uh, did a fantastic job, uh, everybody I, I call a game with did a fantastic job. But uh, Brian Mansbridge said that was a strong tackle, 
And I said, well, Dave Grisiak, he is stronger than a garlic milkshake. Completely just not thinking about it because it's something that my brother-in-law used to say when we used to play cards. And um, next thing I know, you know, I just, everybody in the, in the booth is rolling and I'm just, yeah, again, I'm just having fun with it. And uh, I go home that night, I go back to the hotel and one of the other coaches says to me, are you on Reddit? And I said, no, I'm not on Reddit. Why? I said, they're, they're talking about you on Reddit. There's a whole bunch of people and they love your commentary. And um, next thing I know, you know, and I happen to say something about it on Twitter and everybody on Reddit's like, hey, he's talking about us. So um, it was definitely kind of unexpected. And and uh, I basically was just down there. I was having such a great time covering it. It was my first trip ever to Australia. And um, like I said, having been a fan of, of footy and of the AFL for over 20 years, I was just sort of relishing being in that environment and um uh some people thought that that was interesting and and uh but everybody was super nice about it i uh, i gave a uh we had a luncheon uh on the friday while i was down there uh for world footy news and also the footy almanac and and uh they asked me to come up and say a few words and and i basically had said about how important the growth of the game is overseas and whatnot and, uh, you know, I was just kind of speaking from the heart. And I remember sitting back down the lunch and the uh, I guess it was the owner of the of the pub we were at where it was hosting came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, well said, mate, well said. And I'm like, OK, so <laughs> it, it, it was one of those things where, um, again, I was basically there to cover everybody I mean, and and tell the story of the young men and young ladies that were there to play the game. And uh, the fact that uh, I got recognized, I guess, for doing that uh, was was kind of accentuated the trip a little bit. So it's always handy to get a few minutes of fame out of something you don't intend to. Um, <laughs> Brian, what's it like being the media manager for three teams on an overseas trip? You know, they're all young people. How how, how hard is that a job for you during the international cup period? Well, there's a it, it definitely expended a lot of time and. Um, uh, a lot of people asked when I was going, is your wife coming with you? And, and the problem was, is that I would have been working. I was basically working about 85% of the time I was there. I had a few extra days at the end where I did get to do a little bit of sightseeing, but it is fairly busy. And, uh, in, in a couple of cases, I, I did have some help. Uh, Peter Holden from girls play footy, uh, did yeoman work. Uh, he helped, uh, broadcast all five in, in either in full or in part of the Liberty matches, um, going to the different sites and uh, helping us with equipment and making sure that uh, those games were broadcast live. Um, but a, a lot of planning, uh, a lot of uh, travel going back and forth. But what I'll say this is that everybody involved was super easy to work with. And I know uh of the, what is it, 80 or 90 people that we brought that were playing, and of the 15 or so coaching staff, I probably knew everybody bar maybe two or three ahead of time. So they all know me. They all know that I'm there to kind of beam back what they're doing to their friends and family. And not only that, but also our fans and also footy fans around the world that are you know interested in what we're doing here in the States. Um, it definitely was a, 
it was a challenge, but it was one that I had been looking forward to since I knew that I was going to be going down there to cover it. And the other side of that was is that I got to meet uh, through doing that a lot of people in, in the inner sanctum of footy and just of all walks in footy. Um, I got to go to an umpiring uh, coaching session at the Essendon District uh, Football League uh, through Doug Drinkwater, who uh, has helped us out at Nationals in the past. Um, got to go to Montrose, where the U.S. men's team played, and uh, uh, as well as uh, I also got to talk to the media manager for the Western Spurs women's team uh, and also uh, at, at the Essendon District. So it was not just a... Uh, not just really me going over and covering it, but it was also an education in how to cover the game. Uh, a lot of aspects of the game that I didn't know about, and there I was immersed in it. So um, it was definitely a challenge, but it was also a learning experience. And I feel like I'm a better uh, journalist and I'm a better uh, footy person from that trip. And that's, and that's quite something given you followed the game for, as you told me before we started recording, like two decades yeah, and and it's definitely different than sitting on your couch and sitting in front of your computer 15,000 kilos away. Um, there's something about the culture there that is not replicated, I think, anywhere in the world. I mean, football, gridiron football in the South, uh, talking about like at the junior college and high school level, maybe comes close and... At different places around the country, uh, soccer in Europe to an extent, but it's it's unique. It's something that's uniquely Australian, and I think it's unique to Melbourne and the state of Victoria. Um, it's 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 something that if you are a footy fan, you have to actually go there and experience and immerse yourself in it at, at some point. And and uh, like I said, it, it completely changed the way that I saw the game. Uh, previous to me going down there. Mm. All right. Well, we, we talk. Uh, we're going to talk about the the nationals in a moment. But uh, before we do that, I want to talk about something else uh, that's unique to Melbourne or Australia at least, uh, and that's AFLX. And uh, a lot of people had a lot of negative things to say about uh, AFLX. There was very few uh, and far between uh, positive comments to be made. Uh, Richard Hines wrote an article on the ABC that proclaimed it to be the death of Australian football. Um, which I thought was probably a little bit too far, to be honest, given it's a pre-season tournament that doesn't really affect the main season at all. But, uh, yeah, and so you wrote a you wrote a comment which you um, seem to have been rather vilified for at the time that basically said that uh, uh, AFLX is a glorified training drill at this level, yes, but with international players or newcomers, this is exactly what they need, being able to hone their skills in a game environment with more touches of the ball for which um, I believe you were told that as an American, you should pretty much just shut up and mind your own business. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the first time I've been told that when uh, when opining about footy. But but just to kind of, I guess, give an idea, I, I, I do agree to an extent that um, what I saw was definitely a mutant form of footy. Mm. Um, and I felt that it, it, it definitely wasn't in terms of what I was expecting in terms of AFL footy. And I also, and something that I also mentioned on Twitter is um, any sort of positivity I have towards what AFLX can be 
doesn't condone the fact that uh, the AFL basically shrugged aside the AFLW competition for this. And, you know, allegedly there's a talk of them siphoning funds off for this, which, uh, again, with a an organization with a lot of resources, I think is is not fair to fans of AFLW and the people that are trying their hardest to make that work. All of that said, um, when AFLX was first, when, when it was first announced or that there was going to be this, this thing that, that AFL was going to uh, uh, develop, the first thing I thought of is, is we've been doing something like this for years in the U.S. called Metro Footy. Uh, most of it played on a rectangular ground, uh, nine-a-side footy. Uh, and with with slightly modified rules, the thing is, uh, in in the twenty plus years that the USAFL has been around, that has kind of morphed and mutated on its own. Whereas the game is not played the same in two in the, in in two or three cities. For example, uh, you know, in Philadelphia, we just played. We would try for nine aside, but if we got more players, we would play 12 or 13 and we would make the field bigger. Um, in New York, they would play on a square ground and they would play without goalposts. So the only behinds would be either rush behinds or hitting the goalpost itself. Um, just completely different rules and we didn't have anything codified. And Dennis Ryan, who uh, I know you've spoken to in the past. That was one of his goals when he was president a few years ago was to codify uh, a contact version of, of AFL nines, but have it to where it would be a small sided game and a preparation for the full 18 aside game. What I saw with AFL acts with AFL players was in fact a glorified training session. It seemed very up, down, up, down quick. The, the, purpose of which was it for it to be a very fast game but it almost turned into basketball especially with the fact that there were no ball ups there were no rucks um uh, you know the fact that they were playing uh, there weren't that many contests around the ground part of it was due to the rules part of it was also i think you know players not wanting to get hurt and i did find it a little ironic that people were so concerned about players getting hurt from, especially from getting tackled, and yet one of the things that was being complained was there was no contact, there were no contests. Um, so I think with elite players, I think you would need to change it to make it more recognizable. Maybe putting two more players on the ground, make it nine aside, get rid of the super goal. I refuse to call it by the corporate name. Uh, get get rid of the super goal. Um, maybe. Maybe with the pros, keep the backward passing rule intact. Uh, maybe make the halves a couple of minutes longer. Maybe make them two 15-minute halves uh, so that you can bring the ball back into the middle of the ground and have a proper ball up. Um, there was talk about zones. You probably could do that with the, with the uh, pro crowd more so than the, uh, the developing international sides. Uh, just to keep the game much more simpler for novice players. Um, I think in terms of, I wasn't necessarily watching it as a spectacle. I feel like as a spectacle, it probably could could be improved, and it probably, I think a lot of the flash should be taken out of it. However, 
again, I wasn't looking at it as a, as a fan. I was looking at it more of here is something that we can bring. And if we play here in, in the States, we could take it to Canada. We could take it to Europe. We could take it to different places and it'd be the same rule and it'd be the same, the same rules and the same games. Um, I feel that with, <coughs> excuse me, with, uh, with n- novice players or players that aren't Australian and haven't played it for the, the duration of their lives or for the balance of their lives, um, that the game would look more recognizable. You are going to have more contests in the air. You are going to have more ground contests. The kicking isn't always going to be crisp. So there is always going to be the ball in dispute. You're not going to want to have, you know, what we were seeing, you know, kick kick to the middle of the ground, kick to just outside of 60 or 50 meters out, and then somebody bomb a 10-pointer. You're going to see it more. You're going to see the skills work on a little bit more. And one of the things is, is that, again, you're talking about it being the training, uh, you know, be, being a glorified training grill, drill. The purpose of Metro Footy and the, per, the, pre, the premise of that short-sighted is if you've got a new player who's never played before, you're not going to want to necessarily throw them into an 18-a-side game because they may not get any touches. Uh, they may be confused as to what to do. But if they're on a 7 or 8 or 9-a-side game, especially even if the game's only 20 or 30 minutes long, they're going to get a couple of touches. They're going to be more involved. They're going to be around the footy and be able to throw in a shepherd or they're going to be able to make themselves an option. If they're in the forward line, they'll be able to practice their leads a little bit. So I think there is merit to the short-sided game. And I think that, you know, the AFL definitely wants to get in front of it the same way that they've done recreational footy with AFL nines. Um, and, And I think that's a good idea. Um, they should focus on the product and focus on this and, and then worry about, you know, the, the, the flashing lights and all that other stuff. I feel like that's sort of extraneous. Um, but, but there is something there. And I think if it's refined, uh, it will do well to develop, uh, what they're trying to do, which is grow the game and get more people playing it. And then we, they can start to bring more people in who can watch it and appreciate it as spectators. Mm. I wonder if perhaps even rounding off those corners so it's still relatively oval in shape. I know some of the uh, the European and American uh, metro sides, those uh, the Euro footy sides and the metro footy sides, they sometimes round off the edges to uh, to add a curve on the boundary. Yeah, we do that too. And I think you can make the argument, you you could make the argument that you're shortening the field and you're kind of, you know, boxing it in a little bit. Um, I, the way I feel about it is that if this is going to be used to graduate players to the 18 aside game, which is what it should be, then, Mm. then you should play it with, uh, you should play it with, with an oval. Uh, But it also depends on, uh, it'll look more like a rounded rectangle, I think on, on soccer grounds. But I think if you're looking to take this, because again, I am of the belief that the, the, you know, even though this is kind of been in development for some time, I feel that this is, it's, it's the brainchild of, Gil McLaughlin coming to Giant Stadium or what is now MetLife Stadium in, in New York when they were on that junket before the International Rules Series in 2015 and looking out at this empty stadium and thinking, how can I get AFL in in this stadium? Um, so 
I think it's a good idea. I think for grounds that aren't hemmed in like an MLS stadium, a soccer stadium or a, or a gridiron stadium, it would be a good idea to do that. Um, but for, or, or, you know, it'd be a good idea to, to round it off. But I think in a situation where space is limited, then I think having on a gridiron or a rectangle field would suffice. Fair enough. And that's, uh, you know, that, I mean, you, your opinion is relative here because you have so many Metro footy competitions and stuff that are run uh, by USAFL clubs and USAFL cities and things like that. So you can't really say you're an, you're an American, so shut up. I mean, <laughs> at, at, at the end of the day, you've probably got more rectangular sides playing football over in the States than we do in Australia at the moment. So, in fact, I'd almost say certainly do, given that rectangular yeah. footy is brand new here. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I think I think the thing is as well is that um, it, I think the goal of this is, you know, you can go see you can go anywhere and play soccer. You could you could make anything your your field. Uh, you could go anywhere uh, and and cricket. You know, you can play cricket on the beach and you can do that. Uh, you know, baseball is very portable and very compact. Gridiron is very portable because, you know, you see kids out here playing two, two-hand touch. Um, you know, especially here in Philly with the weather getting warmer and everybody's still on a buzz from the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I think I think the goal is to make footy the kind of sport where you can just kind of play anywhere, not just necessarily kick the kick, but say, hey, we're going to – we're gonna here's a field, you know, here's a soccer field. We're going we're gonna to put something together and we're going to play that. So – I, I think, like I said, I think it's a noble effort. Um, you know, there's still a fair bit of stuff, but but again, you know, we don't have ovals here. Yeah, you know, we all we have are gridiron and soccer fields, so we have to make do with what we have. So so yeah, I, I it's definitely a relevant thought, and and those of us who are trying to grow the game outside of Australia, who you know don't have the resources and don't have the the I guess the physical. Um, resources to be able to recreate the game exactly have to kind of make do with what we have so and everything helps i guess in the end i guess we should talk uh, u.s footy brian um since you're the u.s media manager there <laughs> um, <laughs> now uh the nationals for those people who don't know the, the u.s national championships they're the largest uh football tournament in the world for australian football four men's divisions two women's divisions they have clinics uh, they have development programs there's seminars there's around a thousand people that turn up to play uh, 60 games of football or over 60 games of football, basically in one weekend in one city. So it, it's something of a something of a big event for uh, football outside of Australia. And now the 2018 national championships are going to be held in Racine. Is it is that right? Racine, Wisconsin. Yep. And that'll be yep. In October. Racine, Wisconsin. Now, how hard is that to put together? Like, how hard is the nationals to tee up like this? Well, <clears throat> the biggest challenge we've had over the past couple of years is basically finding grounds that are big enough to host to host us. Because you're looking at uh, again, a, a large, everyone listening knows how big and and a footy field is. Now, trying to try to pick a place where you can fit six of them in a place where the game is completely foreign, it's very difficult. We usually end up at a soccer complex, which is where. I think every one we've been, every Nationals we've held for the last at least decade has been at a dedicated soccer ground, which has been big enough to fit in. If they've got nine or ten soccer fields, they can fit five or six footy fields. 
last year in in San, San Diego was our biggest nationals ever. We had six fields, which was the first time we've ever had that many fields. And we've also had five men's divisions, which is usually we only have four. It was the first time that we had five in addition to the two women's divisions. And we had 53 teams. So uh, it's it's very, very difficult. And, and I don't think we were anticipating the response to San Diego that we got. But that, you know, it's a good problem to have, I feel. Uh, but it also makes it challenging for places that where we're going to host it. Um, case in point this year, uh, we were looking at one site uh, in Minnesota and uh, it, it seemed like a good fit for us with uh, the one biggest thing was that the date, it would have been held the week before the AFL grand final in September, which would have been a very early end to our season. Um, it was something that, uh, uh, the league, our clubs, and uh, the site. Uh, obviously, there was a there was a uh, a difference there, and unfortunately, we couldn't come to an agreement. So we had to look at a couple of other sites, and uh, uh, again, a lot of logistical issues involved. Uh, of case in point, look at Austin, Texas, where we've had it in the past. Uh, October is a very popular month for festivals in, in, in Austin, and that makes getting hotel rooms difficult. So you're talking about, again, you're talking 1,000, 1,200 players and another five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred people, friends, family, coaches, etc. It's going to be very difficult to get hotel rooms in that place. So, And then you have other places that might be difficult for teams to get to. Um, we loved being in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, but it's an hour away from Tampa. It's about two hours away from Orlando. Um, it's it's kind of difficult to get to. Racine, Wisconsin, we were there for our regional tournaments in uh, 2015, the Central Regional. And it's about a half-hour drive down from Milwaukee. It's about an hour or so from Chicago. Uh, it's not a bad ride on the train, but on Amtrak in either direction. Uh, the field itself... Um, it was a little hard, I think probably a little bit similar to what the fields are in Australia, more so than the soccer fields that we have in the States or the gridiron fields, but um, they were in very good quality. The people uh, with uh, real racing, which is the visitors bureau there were extremely helpful. Uh, they took care of uh, a lot of things for us in terms of logistics, in terms of uh, the hotels, getting that set up, getting us venues for the after party as well. Uh, and then on the day, uh, you know, they provided us with a plethora of volunteers. Uh, interns were helping us out. Um, and uh, I think both sides were very happy. I know that the players were very happy. They said, you know, everyone here is so nice. And uh, the, the people in, in Racine and the volunteers and the, and the folks with the, with the Visitors Bureau were super, you know, they, they loved us. They loved, uh, you know, watching us play and they loved being involved with us. So, uh, it's it's a good fit, and uh, you know it's one of those things where, you know, as our competition grows, it's going to become more and more of a challenge. Uh, and the question is, is what do you do? There's talk of, you know, at some point, you know, do you do you start turning people away? Do you start turning teams away, or do you start telling teams, hey, you can only bring one side instead of bringing sixty people, where you could, you know, arguably field two or three teams. Um, that's something that, you know, we're not quite at yet, but uh, you also have to look at the fact that all of our players, 
pretty much pay their own way to go to this tournament as they do to the games during the course of the regular season. And they make these plans. I mean, there are people who have already bought their tickets for racing Wisconsin. Uh, and here we are, you know, eight months out from the tournament. Um, so you don't want to do that and then have them say, well, there's a chance you might not play if you don't qualify. So that's something that we're looking at as a league. Is uh, It's not something that, that would happen in the immediate future, but, but it, it does add to the challenge. But yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of logistical puzzles that go into it. A lot of things that need to be handled. But um, I would say that uh, it's something that uh, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't fun and if it wasn't something that we that we didn't enjoy. And and it's definitely a challenge. And, and I say on the media side too that 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 I know that we as a league look forward to putting on every year. Mm. Now. Um... There's obviously regional tournaments and stuff coming up in June and July, I think, throughout the... Well, I think you have three of them. Um, yes. Tell me a bit about those. So, um, in addition to the national championships, the league hosts a regional uh, championships in each of the three uh, regions, East, Central, and West. This year, uh, the Eastern Regional will be in Philadelphia at the end of July, or end of June, rather. I think it's the 23rd is when that is. Uh, three weeks after that, July 14th, we'll be in Nashville for the Central Regionals, and then we'll be in Sacramento, California for the Western Regionals on July 28th. Um, the Regionals are a way, uh, they're so, almost sort of like a mini Nationals in a sense. Uh, obviously, there are fewer teams. The tournament is played over one day. Um, and unlike Nationals, um, there are, depending on how many teams and what the setup is, the teams are generally sometimes asked to play three games in one day instead of two uh, or three games over one day instead of three games over the course of a weekend. Um, it's um, <clears throat> those are good. I think because uh, it's, it's definitely in many cases, it's a much shorter trip. Uh, it's also again, a, a bonding trip in a sense, because especially since it's in the middle of the season, one of the things we're looking at, uh, is something I've mentioned previously when I've been on uh, talking to you, Jason, in, in the uh, is that our regular season, our home and away season, so to speak, is much different than a traditional home and away season because the teams are scattered so much. Um, you know, there is no ladder necessarily because each team plays a different number of games. They play some teams more than others. Uh, that's something that we're trying to change. The Eastern teams uh, are assembling uh, a mini tournament with seven teams, basically going and playing carnivals in each of the cities. Um, but this is, in in a sense, almost uh, a way to gauge where you are in terms of, uh, from a player perspective and from a team perspective, to gauge where you are ahead of nationals. But it also, for the seating committee and for the competition committee, it's a way to kind of look at and, and compare the teams to each other. And what we do want to start doing in the next year or so is have the placings at these tournaments in, in concert with the regular season uh, determine where you're seated at nationals. Uh, it would be great if uh, we said from the outset, even though you know it's the middle of the season, if you win the central regional or if you win your, your, your regional, that you will automatically get a, a Division One spot at Nationals. Um, we're getting to that point. Uh, obviously, 
nothing that would affect this year's. But the idea is, is we want this build up and we want this to happen. Um, again, it's not something we can really say, okay, you have to finish here to make nationals because again, we're talking about logistics and we're talking about individual logistics with, you know, they might not be able to get the time. So, so close. Uh, so, but, but that's where we are. And, and, and having been to every nationals over the last three years, it's like a, it, it, like I said, it, it is like a mini nationals, but it's great because it's like a little regional family reunion. Uh, you get to see the teams get together. They get to, uh, you know, uh, some regional rivalries are renewed. Some of them are, are spawned. Um, you know, it's great to see like the Seattle San Diego rivalry, uh, which was renewed during the division three national finals. Um, so yeah, but they're a lot of fun and, uh, it's also a way to get to different markets. Uh, last year we were in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is a team, a city that just got a team. And, uh, we did a, I think we did a pretty good job marketing it. We had almost, I think 150 or so locals that had no, uh, uh acts, no, um, connection to any of the teams or anything. Uh, you heard about it on the news or saw our ad on Facebook and, or heard it on the radio and they came out and, uh, checked it out. And so, uh, the team in Little Rock, which just started about a year or so ago, uh, they're looking to grow in terms of numbers, and hopefully that'll happen. So it, it's definitely a way to grow the game in the same way that Nationals does on a local level. Just uh, quickly, how long does a game go for at Nationals? I mean, we're talking like a three-day tournament. How, how long does like an average game go for? It's uh, two 20-minute halves. Um, and uh, barring a major injury or anything like that, we can fit a game in the space of an hour. Uh, so there's a game every hour on the hour. Uh, if you go to nationals, uh, you basically play as a team. You play a game Saturday morning, uh, a game Saturday afternoon, a game Sunday morning. And then if you make the final, the grand final, uh, you play Sunday afternoon. So uh, it, there's a lot of footy and it's and it's very rapid fire. And if I remember rightly, there is a there's a a maximum number of what expatriate Australians that are permitted per side. Yeah, so half the more than half the players on the field must be what are deemed as nationals. Um, a, a national, it used to be American and Australian, or <coughs> Australian and non-Australian. Um, in, in this case. Basically, anybody who grew up in, you know, uh, or had lived a significant amount of time in the States or for the Canadian teams in Canada is considered a national. Uh, basically, it's to keep uh, players, uh, and, and I think uh, we've had a, a number of players who are Irish who are considered to be non-national, uh, just to kind of give it in a, in, a, in a context where somebody who may have grown up in, say, France, who didn't really play Gaelic football, may have played soccer. They would be considered, or has lived in the States while we would probably consider them a national. Um, But, but the idea is, is that you don't want a team loading up with 13 or 14 Aussies uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, run rifle through a team of mostly Americans. Uh, I'm not saying that they would do this, but take a city, a place like New York where they have a fairly big Australian base. Um, but the ob- object of this is also to grow and to, and to entice teams to get more Americans involved in the game. Mm. Uh, so, so I think overall, cause I get asked this a lot 
uh, you know, how many, what percentage is are American or, or what percentage are Aussies? I would say that I, I, I would say that of our 2000 or so registered players, I would only I would say probably maybe 30 percent tops are Aussies. And I think everybody else is I want, would probably say maybe anywhere from 60 around 65 to 68 percent are American. And then from all over uh, Japan, Russia, New Zealand, England, Ireland, France uh, would make up the last 2%. Okay, well, that brings me to my next question. Um, I was going to ask about the number of players and everything, but you've neatly answered that. How many teams are there in the USAFL at the moment? We have <coughs> 39 clubs at the moment. Uh, and and, and just, are... just to clarify, these are, these are teams that essentially represent cities. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we have... Um, yeah, they, they represent cities uh in one case with the golden gate uh afl that's more of a region although they're based mm-hmm. in san francisco um but their metro uh is more of a regional league because they go from marin county which is you know an hour i think north of the of the city all the way down to san jose mm-hmm. so they're they have a pretty big swath um, but then Sacramento, which is two hours east, they have their own club, and that's based in the city of Sacramento. Mm. Um, we do have, um, in Minnesota, we have the Minnesota Freeze, which has a men's team and a women's team, and we have North Star Blue Ox, which just started up as the first independent women's team in the USAFL. They started up early last year. Uh, and so, so they're the only place where they have two teams uh, two separate clubs, but, but yeah. Um, and, and I guess to be, to be fair, they are different sizes and they are, uh, they have a different level of resources. Um, the teams that are, are division one men's sides. And, uh, also just, I guess if you look in terms of Denver and golden gate, uh, that are division one on men's and women's, uh, they have the largest in terms of players, uh, you're talking around a hundred or so playing members. Uh, Austin, they probably have about 75. New York, they have about 60 or 75. And then uh, we do have a number of clubs that have dropped off over the last couple of years that are just hanging on to a handful of players uh, or that are staying relatively about the same. Uh, Baton Rouge down in Louisiana, the Tigers. Uh, they've really kind of held steady at anywhere between 15 to 20 players over the last few years. And they, I mean, they are as involved in the league and they get, get as involved as anybody else. Um, at the same time, we have developing uh, uh, teams. Uh, we, you look at, uh, I know Dayton, Ohio, you have the Dayton Warhawks, which has started up. We have a group of guys down in uh, southeastern North Carolina in, in a town called Beaufort. Uh, which is uh, looking, or Beaufort, Beaufort's in South Carolina, uh, they're looking to start a, a regional program similar to what they have in Golden Gate. Uh, Portland, Maine, uh, with the Maine Cats, uh, they've got, I think, about five or six players so far. They're hoping uh, either this year or next year we'll have them joined up in the league as well. Um, and, and the other side of that, Jason, is, is the growth of the women's game. Uh, of all of those clubs, I would say about half of them have women's programs of some sort. Um, and uh, we had a, a very big year last year 
North Star had started up. Uh, the L.A. Dragons, their women's team had started up. Philadelphia, uh, the Hawks, uh, they went from two players to about eight. Uh, they'll have the start this year. Uh, Columbus has seen a fair bit of growth. Uh, Portland, uh, the Seattle Grizzlies, their team started about a year and a half ago. And I predict that maybe in the next two years they could be challenging for a national title. Um it's it's not just growing on the men's side. We are getting everybody who wants to play the game involved, and that's what's so great about it. It's always nice to have someone answer your questions without even being asked. It's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you saved me a lot of time. People are just going to be on this. Brian, he talks a lot, but, you know, it's it's all the stuff I would have asked you anyway. I just I want to clarify for people in our, like, on Australia and Melbourne that might be listening to this. Uh, so the, these city sides, um, they, they 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 don't play a regular fixture like we would here. Um, they and for many of them they have uh, metro footy sides underneath them. Some of them have several per city. Some of them may only have one or two. So they effectively act like um, what interleague sides do in Melbourne, where they play. Erra- uh, not erratically, but they play irregularly against other interleague sides. It's the same principle um, where they, they take a full side and they go off and they play another side from another city in Australia. Yeah. We, would, we would have an interleague side that would take a representative side from various sides within uh, a locale and, and run off and play another side from a similar uh, setup. Um, if, if, um, if someone wanted to play football... Uh, in in the U.S., Brian, um, what do they need to do? So um, we get a, we we've had a, actually, especially on, on social media, we've had a lot of people reaching out to us saying, "Hey, you know, I would love to come to the states and play." And my first question to them is, "Okay, where are you looking to go?" And it, it's interesting to me that a, a lot of times uh, they just want to come and play; they don't care where. Um, but, uh, what I would say is if you have an idea as far as where you're going to be in the States, uh, go to usafl.com. Uh, there is a, a find a club section that lists all of the teams in the USAFL as well as where they are on social media. Uh, if they have an email address, um, and if you don't hear back from them, once you contact from social media or whatnot, uh, let me know. Uh, you go on to the USAFL Facebook page at facebook.com slash USAFL. Uh, if you're on Twitter at USAFL1997, uh, contact us and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to reach somebody in the city. I haven't quite heard anybody yet. Uh, and then we can try and get a hold of them for you and go from there. Um, the, the one thing that I, that I think is, is good is that if, if they are in Australia and they see it, I, I think it's definitely, you know, a good learning opportunity and it's definitely a good uh, you know, for, for both sides, uh, we had, um, Jessica Wuchner who played, who is now playing for the Brisbane lions, uh, before she was drafted in AFLW, she was in Boston for three months and, uh, she was uh, still talks about how great of an experience that that was not only because she felt like she taught the, the, the girls how to play and how to be much smarter football players, but it also increased her own footy knowledge and also her own footy experience so um you know we definitely if you know anybody is interested yeah that would be the best way to do it go on usafl.com and uh have a look at the clubs and uh, reach out to reach out to the teams individually 
Now, I want to dip into something a little controversial here, and you obviously don't have to answer this, and if you don't answer, we'll just scrub this from the interview. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, AFL support for the USAFL, what, what, what's that like? Is there any? Is it negligible? Do you just... Uh, I don't, I, do you have any? Well, uh, they... Um, here's what I'll say. They, they do uh, give us a grant every year, which is a fixed grant. Um, and, uh, what I will say is that, uh, it does change depending on what the exchange rate is, but, um, and they also do have an interest, uh, Grant Williams, who is the, uh, uh I'm going to forget his, I'm going to forget his title. He's a, I think he's the community manager for the AFL and he's one of the, one of the folks responsible for running the international cup every year. Um, I know that he has an interest in, in what we're doing in the States and he is, you know, he was at our nationals last year and he was telling me and, and a lot of other people how, how happy he is to see the growth of the game. And he just relishes in, in seeing the Americans go out there and play the game uh, at a very good standard. Um, It's, I, I think the only uh, thing I would like to see more is I would love to see the AFL promote what's going on overseas, not just in the U.S., but you know there we've got there's a really good some really good competitions going up in in Canada, uh, some fantastic competitions going on in in Europe, um, and, and listen, you know Iceland's trying to put some teams together, and and the thing is is I feel like that should be mentioned and it should be mentioned on on social media. Uh, and in their different, you know, they, they put them on, put the stuff on the website, which is great. Uh, but if you, if you put it on Facebook or put it on, on, uh, on, tw- on the Twitter, you know, you're going to get the occasional bogue in the go, you know, you know, you've got nine people playing in the middle of a tundra who cares. That's not a competition. But the fact is, is that considering how insular the game has been for so long, with the age of the internet, you know, last year there were four or five, I mentioned Iceland. There were four teams, including one team here, the Baltimore Washington Eagles that had gone up to play a tournament, a nine aside tournament in Reykjavik, Iceland. So here you have this little dot of an Island in the middle of the North Atlantic, 300,000 people, uh, and, and a whole bunch of horses and sheep and goats. Uh, it's like a Northern New Zealand, but anyway, um, you have it's 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 16 17 kilometers 16 17,000 kilometers away from the birthplace of the game and you've got a tournament going on like to me this is a this is a big deal considering you know how far it is from the from the nexus of the game um so i i think that's the only thing i would suggest i would love to see it promoted a little bit more i would love to see uh you know people be more there be more knowledge of these leagues overseas back in Australia. Um, the other thing is, is the teams that, that give, I mean, there's a lot of clubs that, that uh, lend their names is, you know, obviously New York Magpies, Philadelphia Hawks, uh, Baltimore, uh, well, they're the Baltimore Dockers and the DC Eagles, Cincinnati Dockers. Um, the amount of uh, coverage and the amount of support by the teams that differs a lot. Um, I know New York and Collingwood have a very good relationship. I know Boston and Melbourne had a very good relationship for many years, but not all teams with those names enjoy that. Mm. So it's good that they have that. And I know that I've been asked on a couple of occasions, um, 
Uh, in fact, I know there's one team that's considering looking at a, an AFL sponsorship and, and completely rebranding. The, the, I, I kind of have a, a two minds of this. I feel like if you're going to put your name behind a team, you should support it. Yeah. That being said, I feel that one of our biggest assets as a league and, a, and, and as a, you know, as a foreign league to this sport is the fact that we is that clubs have taken the initiative to set themselves apart uh, and be different, yeah. you know, for for every Magpies and, and, and Bombers and the Hawks and Dockers, etc. We also have Lone Stars and Steelheads and Gamblers and Fighting Squids and Jackaroos and Jillaroos. Uh, and Grizzlies, uh, and Freeze. So there is something to be said about that, and, and I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but but the thing is, is that I feel like when I, you know, when I was in Melbourne, people were shocked that we had 40 teams. You know, I would, I, I remember being in, in, in the Queen Vic market and talking to, uh, I went somewhere to get lunch, and I was, you know, talking to the, to the lady behind the counter there, and she was, incredulous that we had that many people playing the game uh you know she thought she thought it was great but she had no idea that we had this whole system that this whole league that exists and you know what there's there's interest for the game here in the states uh when espn went firing all their reporters uh last year um a lot of people said look i i miss when espn had australian rules football there are people that watch the game in the 80s that they don't know where to see the game well now they know, obviously, it's on TV, but you can see, you know, if you live in Boston, go see the Demons. If you live in L.A., go see the Dragons or go out to Orange County and see the Bombers. Mm. So and I, I try to do a lot of that on social media, basically like hunting people down and saying, hey, you have a team near you. Go watch them. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. I would love to play this. I would love to check this out. Mm. So 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 we're doing a lot of the legwork, which is which is good, which I feel like we we should. But at the same time, I feel like if the if the visibility of what we as a global community are doing uh, was raised a little bit, I feel like that would make things a little bit easier for us. Fair enough. I noticed AFL Canada just got a uh, full time uh, development officer from the AFL. Um, no sign of that happening for the US. Uh, it. We would love to do that, and we're. We're looking at, uh, you know, different ways we can expand on that. Um, it, it's it's a matter of, of looking at our resources and and seeing where they can best be utilized. Um, I know we would love to have something like that. We have one full time person at the moment. He's our operations manager. And uh, listen, if, if it weren't for Doran James, the wheels would have fallen off this outfit a long time ago. Uh, he is he's probably the most important person in the league with the amount of stuff that he does but um it, it's something that i know we've we've discussed and uh, hopefully we might be able to do the same same we might be able to do something similar uh, in the near future no right, last last question and still uh staying controversial here brian uh what's what's the deal with tampa bay I noticed a, a league statement coming out in january talking about major league footy and how it's nothing to do with the usafl and Tampa Bay, as a result, uh, disaffiliated or something like that. What, so, what, what's the deal there? So the the situation is this: they um, uh, they have been looking at putting together a uh, some sort of program over the last couple of years, which uh, on initially appeared to be a 
uh, a local metro footy program in the, or something regional and looking to grow it. Um, their, uh, I guess, philosophy on it is that this can be done on a semi-professional basis with franchises instead of clubs. Uh, this is something that deviates from our mission. It's something that deviates from our charter as well as our agreement with the AFL. Um, so it's something that, uh, we, you know, we have to, we, you know, obviously we, 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 we were looking at it in a completely different direction. Uh, our growth over the last 20 years has been grassroots has been, um, obviously community based. Uh, we are run by people who live in the individual cities. Our clubs are. Uh, who work in those cities and who live in those cities and who uh, are looking to grow something from the ground up. Um, what uh, Major League Footy is trying to do is create a, a franchise a franchise system. Uh, they want to they they don't want their players to pay dues. They don't want the players to pay anything out of pocket. I think that's a very noble effort. I think that's a that's something that I wish that our players can do. The fact of the matter is, is that we're a nonprofit organization, and we need you know we need people involved to donate, and we need people involved to do that at a grassroots level. Um, I, I like I said, I, I wish them the best. I think I think they'll find that they're going to run into the same challenges that we have over the last twenty years. Uh, they think that they can do it uh, differently. Uh, they think they can do it better. Um, and all the power to them. But growing the game of Aussie rules football in this country is a is a significant challenge. Uh, it's something that uh, we've tried to do. And I think that though we're not where we want to be in terms of players, I mean, 10 years ago, the, the board of the USAFL set a goal of 10,000 players. Uh, we're at about... 20% of that. But that being said, we also have a large women's program. We have 40 clubs across the country. Uh, we don't really have any dark spots on the map anymore. Uh, you know, you can go just about anywhere in the country and, and within a couple of hours, you have a footy team. And um, I feel that uh, not only that, but we, you know, having been in Australia and seeing the club atmosphere, I feel like that grassroots club feel, uh, the family feel that you get when you go, you know, when we went to Montrose, when we went to, uh, when we went to, uh, Footscray and, and we're with, uh, VU Western Spurs, when we went to Oakley, when we went to Boleyn Templestowe, um, that is something that cannot be recreated in a, in a franchise system. And, um, and, and I feel like that's, that's something that it's 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 something that is not core to what how we see growing the game. Like I said, I, I wish them all the best, um, but I I think that this is that that what we have with the USAFL is what we should be investing in and what people should be investing in towards further growth. Absolutely, um, and, and I mean community football is is the basis of Australian football. Right? You, that's what it gets down to. Right? the grassroots clubs and everything, they are where the game begins. It's where people get uh, get started, and I don't think it would be any different for the U.S. or anywhere. That's, that's... Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. And, and, and the thing is, is, is I, 
you know, there's 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 something about about the fact. Listen, I I when I was in Little Rock for Central Regionals, uh, the the folks from Houston, uh, Dave Bryant and uh, Sonia Lovell, uh, they've pretty much run that club since the beginning and they've turned it into, you know, they've got, they, they've have, uh, I think 50 or 60 members. Now they have enough for two men's team and they just started a women's team, which went to nationals having never played an organized, like full game of footy before. And they got two wins. Uh, and that's, and that's out, uh, outstanding. And they have a number of players on that team that I think will definitely be in the conversation, uh, in the, in the next international cup cycle. But I was on the bus with them going from the hotel to the field and back. And there's there, and even having played as much as I love my club in Philadelphia, there's a family feel about that, about that team. The same goes for the one in golden gate. You talked about a, a, a program which, as, as I mentioned, is all spread out over that region. Uh, you know, we're talking 100 plus miles, and yet they all come together and they're all a family and they all have, they all like support each other. They are all not only growing themselves as a club, but growing the game in general. Uh, and it's evidenced by the number of players that they have at the national level as well. They sent, between the men and the women, they sent something like 15 players to, to, uh, to, to Melbourne. Um, I, I feel like that's going to be the growth of the game. I, and, and I think you look at rugby, you know, club rugby is, is fantastic. Club rugby is widespread across this country. Professional rugby, not so much. They just started a league, Major League Rugby, which just started. There have been a board of attempts to have a rugby league start in this, in this country. So there's something to be said about that club, about that familiar, familial atmosphere that I think can't be recreated in a franchise environment, and and I think that's the way we have to go. And getting back to the original topic we started with, I think it's something the AFL have to be careful with it when they're talking about franchising AFLX, because I don't think many people in the AFL world outside the corporate headquarters uh, would agree with it. But yeah, yeah, and 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 you know I follow cricket, and I look at IPL. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, and listen, I don't live in India and, and I don't live in Australia because I know Big Bash is, is a thing. But like, I feel like if you're a fan of like Carlton in the in the in the AFL or if you're a fan of Richmond, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a I, and I realize that not all Carlton fans live in Carlton because there are probably mm. fans that live in Footscray that are fans of Carlton uh, at, or, or my good friend uh, John Carr, who does the. Uh, the dad mog footy pod. He's a Richmondite who lives in Footscray. Um, I live in Adelaide and I'm a Carlton supporter. And you live, yeah. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know, it's, uh, there, there's something very like, uh, uh something very, uh, uh, communal about it. Um, but, but then you look at cricket and it's like, Oh, like, okay. If you're in Melbourne, you know, are you a are you a Renegades fan or are you a uh, whatever the other the other team is there the Commandos the or whatever it is mm-hmm. the Stars thank you you know as you said it I thought of it the same thing if you're in Sydney are you a Thunder fan or are you a Sixers fan and how do you how do you tell that um, it's 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 something that yeah they, they do have to be very careful with it and I feel like I, I feel like yeah. It, it would stray from the game. So that's the thing. Like, and again, getting back to AFLX, there's so much about it that, that could go astray. Um, but, but they have to kind of keep what have, what makes the game itself great and kind of focus on that and go from there. Just quickly before we 
uh, sign off. Uh, what about junior programs in the US? Um, is it US footy I'm thinking of? Well, US footy used to be the USAFL, but we had um, uh, we basically have one program uh, here right now that's ongoing, and that's a Saturday morning footy uh, in Washington D.C. Chris Adams, who has been around this the, the USAFL practically since its start back in the mid '90s, um, he's run that program for the last I think I think they're on the 13 years now. Um, it hasn't grown. I mean, I mean, it's grown a fair bit. Um, it's not feeding into the club i think as much as you would you know you would see junior clubs back home but we are seeing more clubs like want to take up junior programs we're we're basically doing it in so far as uh doing it at regional tournaments and doing it at nationals where we have a free kids clinic and um i remember one year we had we actually had a game we we taught uh, something like 20 kids how to play and uh, before the grand division one grand final right in front of the beer tent um, we had uh, they they set up posts and they had a game and that they got as loud the, the players on that game got as loud cheers the ones for the grand final so um, it's you know frankly we're not where where I think any of us w- would want to see it but uh, again it comes down to resources and um, you know it would be good I think if if that might be something that the AFL would want to look at is maybe earmark a certain amount of money for that. But um, we also have to kind of do the juggling of keeping the league, you know, functioning and whatnot. So um, that has to be, I think the, the, in charge of the, of the, of the clubs and the clubs are trying to do the same thing with theirs. You know, um, listen, I know here in Philadelphia, you know, we've, you know, we talked for years about starting a women's team, but you know, we had to make sure that our men's team was taken care of before we could get to that point. So, It'll get there. It'll get there eventually, um, but uh, it's it's slow. But I feel like in the next few years, it'll definitely grow. Is there anything else we need to know about the U.S. footy at the moment, Brian? Uh, uh well, uh, we're, you're going to start seeing uh, games coming up in the next couple of. Uh, you're going to see uh, games start to come up in the next couple of months uh, ahead of regionals, which is in which are in June and July. Um, you'll probably hear some news from the national teams in a bit, uh, as far as what they'll be doing during the summer, be it training or, uh, uh, matches. We don't have anything specifically nailed down yet, especially with the revolution. Um, but, uh, you'll be hearing about that soon. And, um, and I might be going to Canada to call their nationals in July in Montreal. So that might be a thing too, to keep an eye out for. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Brian, well, obviously I've been talking to Brian Barish, the media manager for the United States Australian Football League and uh, apparently famous now in his own right across the world. Um, (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Brian. Um, And thank you for your very extensive comments this morning. Thank you, Jason. Always a pleasure.